Good morning. Just, uh, you know, the uh, preacher's worst fear is when you get up and you go to preach a message and the message is gone. Well, I had like a modern day equivalent of that. The uh, battery on my iPad was just about gone. <laughs> and uh, it may make it through the message, but it may not. But here's Mr. Truesdale with a paper copy of the message. So thank you very much, Mr. Truesdale. Wonderful. No, that's good. Thank you. He knows how long it is now, so he'll be able to keep an eye on me. You're lucky you didn't have to bind it. <laughs> Matthew chapter 5 is this morning's text. Uh, last week we finished off a series, just a, a bit of a mini-series that we were looking at uh, the invasion of Rabshakeh, the Assyrian general, towards the nation of Judah. We finished that last week, and so this morning... Uh, It's really just a standalone message and uh, something that was upon my heart during the week. Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to read verses 43 to 47. Jesus says, Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbour and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Verse 45, that ye may be children, the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same. And if you salute your brethren only, what do you more than others? Do not even the publicans so. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can be together this morning. We thank you that we can join together around the Word of God. And we pray that it would be an encouragement to us as we, Lord, see the things that are written here. Help us, Lord, to define our lives based upon the Word of God and uh, nothing else. We thank you for our time. We pray that you would work this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Some of you may have heard the news from last weekend, the sad news that um, allegedly a man entered a Jewish synagogue in the United States uh, last weekend and opened fire on the congregation, uh, killing 11 and injuring six. Uh, This is uh, a very sad event to hear of. Uh, and something that is troubling many people in the world. The question that brings us more to the point this morning is why did he do this, or why is it alleged that he do this? We need to be careful not to take his guilt any further than the law has. It seems to be because he hated Jewish people. And it seems that he had a verse from the Bible to excuse what he did. Apparently posted on his social media page was this, John chapter 8 verse 44, Jews are the children of Satan. Now if he was using scripture to justify his prejudice, then he wouldn't be the first one to do so. Uh, We've known that there have been people who have sought to from a biblical basis, commit terrible acts. Those uh, who curated the Yad Vashem Jewish Holocaust Memorial in Jerusalem 
begin their history of anti-Semitism with quotes from the Gospels of the New Testament. And so it's not just isolated to one or two events, but it's a view held by many. And what this man allegedly did was terrible, I think we could all agree. But was it supported by the Bible? That would be more terrible, wouldn't it? Because that would lay the fabric, the foundation for more of these acts to occur in the future. Specifically, does the New Testament Jesus teach anti-Semitism? Well, we aren't going to consult the entirety of the gospel accounts. I'm sure you'll be comforted. <laughs> but let's take John chapter 8 and verse 44, that verse that was quoted as an example. Let's deal with the defense of the scriptures first, and then we'll come back to Matthew chapter 5. John chapter 8, and we'll read from verse 42. Our first point this morning is entitled, Writing the Wrong. John chapter 8, verses 42 to 45. Verse 42, Jesus said unto them, If God were your father, ye would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God, neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech, even because you cannot hear my word? Jesus is speaking to the Jewish teachers at this time. Verse 44. Ye are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, ye believe me not. So John chapter 8 and verse 44, Jesus accuses the Jewish teachers of being children of the devil. That's true, isn't it? Ye are of your father, the devil. But, and this is the most important thing, Jesus wasn't identifying race or cultural heritage as the reason for them being the children of the devil. Let's explain. It's important to remember, first of all, and some of you might have thought, how could Jesus be an anti-Semite? Because Jesus was a Jew. Just because these teachers were Jewish didn't mean that Jesus was being racist. In fact, just about everyone Jesus spoke to in his earthly ministry was a Jew because he was in Israel. Jesus' audience was also male. Does that mean that all men are children of the devil? What was Jesus saying then? What is his claim? Well, back in chapter 8 and verse 33, just a little bit earlier on in that chapter, these teachers had claimed that their nationality made them privileged. Because we are Jewish, we have a privileged position. They say back in John chapter 8 and verse 33, they answered him, we be Abraham's seed and were never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou ye shall be made free? Now they say because we are Jews by birth, we are free. We're free children because we are the children of Abraham. Free from sin is the um, context in which they say it. But Jesus goes on to explain that freedom from sin is not obtained by physical birth. It has nothing to do with race. 
In verse 34, he makes the point that whosoever commits sin is the servant of sin. And so it's by choice that we become servants of sin. Jesus acknowledged their physical ancestry led back to Abraham. He knew that they were Jewish. Of course, Jesus would know that. But he showed them that their choices revealed that they weren't acting like their ancestor, Abraham. What you're doing now does not represent where you've come from. John chapter 8, verses 39 and 40. They answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. Jesus saith unto them, If ye were Abraham's children, ye would do the works of Abraham. But now ye seek to kill me, a man who hath told you the truth, which I have heard of God. This did not Abraham. You see, although they were in the lineage of Abraham, and Jesus fully appreciated that, he wasn't speaking against that, they weren't children or followers or bearing resemblance to their father, Abraham. And this meant, therefore, that they also weren't children of God. Not only was Abraham not their father by their behavior, but also God wasn't. Verse 42 is where Jesus says this. Jesus said unto them, If God were your father, ye would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God, neither came I of myself, but he sent me. And that brings us to the verse in question, John chapter 8 and verse 44. Ye are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. So what does Jesus mean in this passage? What's he saying? What's he trying to get across to them? Well, the preceding verses, Jesus had argued that race is irrelevant when it comes to being a child of God. It doesn't matter how you've grown, what family you were born into, whether, determining whether or not you're a child of God. It doesn't matter. A child of Satan is one who doesn't follow the example of faith set by Abraham and who doesn't love Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God. Therefore, he can't be the child of God. So a child of Satan is defined by personal choice. That was Jesus' point. And so is Jesus a racist? God forbid. Is Jesus anti-Semitic? It sounds counter-illogical because Jesus himself was a Jew. No, Jesus said race is irrelevant when it comes to being a child of God. It's irrelevant when it comes to being a child of God. If we choose to reject the teaching of Jesus Christ, then regardless of our race, we still belong to Satan. We are still the children of Satan. And that is as a result of being born into a sinful human race. This is the unavoidable division made by Scripture. We all belong to one of two families. And it's not Jewish and non-Jewish. It's God and Satan. And that might sound a little bit strange, but it's true. That's what the Bible teaches. We all belong to one of two families. We are either faith, we are either children of God because of faith in his son, Jesus Christ, John chapter 1 and verse 12. But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. 
And so if faith is the only way to become children of God, then race is irrelevant when it comes to defining the children of God and the children of Satan. What's relevant is faith. And this is where we need to take the spotlight away from the news and shine it upon our own hearts. If we haven't trusted in Jesus Christ as Saviour, then there are no grounds for calling God our Father. We have no right to believe that we are the children of God if we have not placed faith in Jesus Christ. It takes a conscious choice to become a child of God. And all it takes is that choice missing in your life to be a child of Satan. And so have you made that choice? If you haven't made that choice, then nothing else matters when it comes to whether you belong to God or not. Simply down to your faith. And so in relation to the accused shooter's racism, Jesus Christ would not agree. Being descended from Jews doesn't make someone a child of God nor a child of the devil. It is a personal choice but you know what there is a bigger issue that needs to be addressed here and that issue is the one that we touched on when we read our introductory reading the issue of how someone is to treat their enemy how a person ought to treat those that they hate it is easy to believe that when the man in question voiced his hatred online he found a whole lot of support when he said how he was feeling, a lot of people said, yeah, I hate them too. There's a lot of people who have hate vendettas and it's easy to find them out, especially in the days of the internet. People wanted to see the supposed enemies of God hurt. Let's kill the enemies of God. Let's hate the enemies of God, or at least they spoke like they would carry those things out. But you know, in this area as well, those who think like that are out of step with Jesus Christ. Because Jesus doesn't need us to be violent towards his enemies. Jesus doesn't need us to hate his enemies. Uh, he's well able to take care of himself. That brings us to our second point, which is resting from wrath. That's where we come back to Matthew chapter 5 and verses 43 to 47. Matthew 5, 43 to 47. Jesus says, ye have, been heard, ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbour and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. If you want to know how to treat your enemies, if you want to know how God wants you to treat his enemies, then this is the teaching. The religious teaching of Jesus' day said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. It was just blatant. 
And his response to that teaching set him apart from the teaching and ought to be echoed by all of those who call themselves Jesus' disciples. We need to own this teaching if we are Christians. And while Jesus accepted the reality of enemies, he wasn't pretending that there is no such thing as an enemy out there, that everyone can just get along and no one's got any problems. Jesus is a a realist. (laughs) Jesus taught to love your enemies. And so even if a person was to consider a certain race to be children of Satan, and you know what? It's considered by many, many races around the world. Even if they are considered to be children of Satan or against God, Christianity provides no justification for acts of hatred or hate crimes against them. Even if they were our enemies, there is no justification for violence. None. Rather, Jesus exhorts us to love. Now, in verses 46 and 47, Jesus talks about the easy road to love. Verses 46 and 47 say, For if you love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? And if you salute your brethren only, what do you more than others? Do not even the publicans so? Jesus said that even the publicans, the morally corrupt public servants of the day, they reciprocated love to those who loved them. They saluted those who were their own relations. Hello, brother. Hello, friend. And should they get a pat on the back for that? Of course not. Should they reciprocate love to those who had loved them? Is that worthy of reward? Of course not. It's natural. Everyone does that. But it was Jesus' desire and his expectation that the children of God should distinguish themselves from the crowd, should be different from what everybody else was doing. Not in that they didn't have to do what everyone else was doing, but they should go further and do more. His calling would require more than just basic human kindness. His calling would require more than just reacting out of reflex. This is much, much harder and only possible through the work of the Holy Spirit, which the children of God, only the children of God possess. And so in order to love one's enemy, first, we should define one's enemy, shouldn't we? How do we know who our enemies are? Matthew chapter 5 and verse 44 describes the behaviours that identify an enemy. Matthew 5.44, But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. So Jesus teaches us that enemies curse. Enemies curse, and that is not just a swearing, a curse word, but it's pronouncing a curse upon someone. And when you curse someone, you are desiring evil upon them. You know, that's a very um, polite way of describing how people refer to us sometimes based on the convictions that we have. There are many unsavory and unrepeatable phrases that would seek evil for the person that they are spoken to. They convey the sentiment, I wish for bad things to happen to you. And that's as bad as I can say from the pulpit this morning. I wish for bad things to happen to you. That's what an enemy does. An enemy curses. An enemy 
hates. Hatred is expressed in words and behaviours that are intended to hurt. Uh, An enemy seeks to hurt us. Uh, Where a curse wishes for evil to happen, hatred seeks to make make hatred happen. Make it work. Hatred results in words and deeds that are intended to hurt or that are intended to deprive of good. That's how we define our enemy. And thirdly, an enemy despitefully uses and persecutes. The disciples would be used despitefully or treated with spite, we could say, when their enemies falsely accused them. And this goes along with persecution. You can see how it's related there to persecution right at the end of the verse. They were punished with spite for their faith. And their enemies would take pleasure in the violence that they could perpetrate in the name of persecution. Just because this person's a Christian, they would take pleasure in torturing and harming them. And so by giving this definition of an enemy, we see that they are true and unwarranted enemies. There is nothing in the Christian faith that would call upon someone to curse us, to hate us, to despitefully use and to persecute us. There's no excuse for this sort of behavior. But you know, if we're going to define our enemies that way, we have to stop and say, well, hang on. What I think is an enemy might not be what Jesus is talking about here. The police officer who pulls you up on the side of the road for speeding, are they your enemy? Are they seeking to do evil towards you because they hate you? (laughs) No, they probably pulled you over because you broke the law. A supporter of an opposing sports team, are they really your enemy? Well, they really haven't even offended apart from going for a different colour on the field, have they? Someone who is annoyed at me because I offended them, Are they really my enemy through uh, innocent causes? No, well, I offended them and they're upset. It's cause and effect. What Jesus is talking about here is when people pick on you for no cause of your own, for no reason, and it's going to hurt, these are the enemies that we're talking about. So we need to be careful not to exaggerate a disagreement or an unpleasantness into saying, oh, my enemies are persecuting me. We can be certain that we ought to love those that we disagree with. And I think this is Jesus' point. If we define our enemies as those who persecute us, those who hate us, those who want to hurt us for no reason, and he says that we're to love those people, then what about those people who disagree with us for a reason? Or for a good reason? You see, if we're defined as having to love even the enemies that we shouldn't have, then we have to love everyone in between too, don't we? If I have to love people who hate me for no good reason, then I have to love everyone from those who hate me even back to those who love me. Love is meant to be our standard response. Should I love a person then? who wants to blow themselves up to kill others? Yes. Should I love soldiers on the other side of the battlefield? Yes. And you know, if we are to define enemies like that, 
then the answer is always yes. It's always yes. If we are to love even our enemies, then there will never be any other answer. Should a Christian ever hate instead of loving? No, never. Should a Christian carry a gun into a place of worship of another religion and start shooting for the cause of Christ? How ridiculous. And how out of step with Jesus Christ. But for most of us, that's, how, that's not how we're tempted to show our hatred, is it? We all have our own weaknesses. We all have our own situations or perhaps people with whom we fail to show a loving response. Maybe it's at home because of the constant nature of the home environment. Maybe it's at work because of the nature of our work environment. Maybe it's on the road because everybody else out there are just terrible drivers. <laughs> we all have our areas where we struggle with this, I'm sure. You know, I was listening to a radio segment during the week uh, and people were calling in and talking about things that irritate them. And uh, this person called up and said, what irritates me is this grammatical error that people make all the time. And uh, what what caught my attention is that the radio host said to them so do you confront people and tell them that it annoys you and they said on oh, not in person I'm really you know polite and stuff in person but online yeah I tear them to strips and I thought oh isn't that interesting isn't that interesting as Christians we're called to love our web enemies as Christians we're called to love our phone enemies our pen enemies, <laughs> our gossip enemies. It doesn't matter how the person has become your enemy, you're called to love them. I'm called to love them. It doesn't matter the realm, we are called to love. So the question then, I suppose, is how are, to we, how are we to love our enemies? Hendrickson, who's a Bible commentator, has a, a, a good point an important point to make on this. He says, and I quote, Jesus does not require that his disciples do the impossible. He doesn't seek them to be fond of their persecutors. Jesus doesn't call us to like people. Doesn't even call us to agree with people. He just calls us to love people. He asks us to do what we would have expected to have been done to ourselves and that's where what that's what it speaks to there in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 44 it says but I say unto you love your enemies those who are hating you you need to love them and how do you do that bless them that curse you those who wish evil for you bless them and the idea of blessing there is wish good for them hope good things for them made me think of that interchange. I hope you rot in hell for your religion. Well, I hope you learn of salvation in Jesus Christ and end up in heaven. I wonder if that's how we retort when that sentiment comes towards us. We're told to do good to them that hate us. Are those who hate us try and find ways to express their hatred towards us, either in words 
uh, in actions, whatever it might be. Those who hate us will try and show it. And you know what? Those who love need to show it. When people try and express their hatred towards us, we need to try and find ways to help those people who are trying to hurt us. And that sounds all back to front, doesn't it? But that's the way that Jesus wanted us to stand out. If a neighbour is dumping stuff over your fence, (laughs) you're allowed to report them. That's okay. That's legal. But it doesn't mean you go and dump it back over their fence, does it? It doesn't mean that you add to it a few things from the week that you've collected in your rubbish and toss them over too. But it might mean that you drop them over something, a meal for the week. Wouldn't that be a shock to their system? (laughs) Find a way to help those people who are trying to hurt you. And you know what? This is a great way for Christians to use their creativity. Uh, Rather than trying to figure out ways to get back (laughs) or to figure out clever ways that we can do something without really sinning, or maybe we could try and put our ingenuity into ways that we could think of being a blessing to that person and try and show them Christ. Third example given there, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. When you're falsely accused before people, what should you do? You should represent them before God. Isn't that a good counter? When people slander you and seek to persecute you because of what they accuse you of, then go and take them before the Lord and pray for them. Pray that they might be healed. Pray that they might be changed from their ways. Pray, ask for God's blessing to be upon them. But isn't that weakness? That's what many people would say. That's weak. You know, I told you at the start that a man walked into a synagogue and started shooting people out of hate, out of conviction. Well, that man himself was shot by police and taken to hospital. And I'll read to you what the New York Times wrote about that hospital visit. And I quote, When the bigot who shot up a Pittsburgh synagogue arrived at the local hospital, Uh, at the local hospital emergency room to be treated for his injuries, he was shouting, kill all the Jews. He was then promptly treated very professionally by three Jews. The hospital president, Jeffrey K. Cohen, I'll name him because he needs to be lifted up, uh, not a killer. The hospital president, Jeffrey K. Cohen, a member of the congregation that had been attacked, met there with the suspect to ask respectfully how he was doing. You know, I assure you that it wasn't weakness that allowed that man who had just had his own congregation shot up to go to that man and say, how are you doing? To give him the care that he deserved as a patient, I assure you that it wasn't weakness that led him to that man. And you know what? It's not weakness that motivates God to do the same thing with us. There's a verse that's been right in the middle of that passage we've been going to and forth on, and it's verse 45. 
If we love our enemies, we read in verse 45, that you may be children of your Father which is in heaven. We would show that we are like our dad in heaven if we love our enemies. Why? For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good. He blesses people who do good and bad every single day. He blesses his enemies. And sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. God loves his enemies. We would be foolish and against scripture to think that God would ask us to do anything different but to love our enemies. It's not just good for people who are our enemies to be loved, but it's also good for us to cease from hatred. Adam Clark, another Bible commentator, says this, Jesus Christ designs to make men happy. Now he is necessarily miserable who hates another. Think about that for a moment. He is necessarily miserable who hates another. Our Lord prohibits only that which from its nature is opposed to man's happiness. This is therefore one of the most reasonable precepts in the universe. But who can obey it? None but he who has the mind of Christ. End quote. And so to sum it all up, what does the Bible say about racism? Well, it says it's faith, not race. That is important in determining your standing before God and therefore your standing before people who claim to be followers of God. The enemy is never defined by their race in the spiritual battle, never. But when it comes to even our enemies, even those who would stand up to be our enemies, even then we are called to love them as children of our Father who does the very same thing. And so I trust that you'll take the initiative and you'll think, who fits that category? (laughs) Who is my enemy? And to whom can I show love even this week? Make a plan. (laughs) Spend your creativity on thinking about how to bless. And the Lord will bless us as a result, I'm sure. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can be in your house this morning and we thank you that we can have our minds renewed. Uh, Lord, we know that uh, vengeance and vendetta is taught so much, uh, Lord, but it's not what you want from your people. Uh, Father, we pray that you would help us to love as you love. and We pray that you would help us to show the world that there is something different based upon what they see. Uh, We thank you, Lord, and we praise you for the education that we can get from opening your word. And we pray that it would affect the week before us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.